Did you know we belong to an upside-down kingdom? Normally in life, we don't like that term because it tells us that everything is topsy-turvy, everything is in confusion, but in the kingdom of God, to the world, it seems upside-down, but it's really upside-right. And if you want to live an upside-right life, you need to get into alignment with the upside-down kingdom. This is from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. This morning we are looking at the third beatitude. And the title of my message is, Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness, even though the world may think so. Because we're living in an upside down kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Heavenly Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit of God, who authored this word, this word that was spoken by the Son of God, would enter into our hearts, that it would no longer be a pious platitude that we've learned from childhood, as we've memorized the Beatitudes, but it would be something that is inscribed upon our hearts and fleshed out in our lives. We need you this morning, Holy Spirit. I have nothing to give apart from you, so I pray that you would anoint these lips of clay. I pray that you would anoint the ears of every listener that we might hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church today. And we will give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. 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 I was reading of one of the great saints who on her deathbed was asked, please give us a message that you want us to hold on to for the rest of our lives. And these were her words, make yourselves very small. I don't think that's a message any of us want to hear as far as a mantra by which to live all of our lives. Make yourselves very small. I know that we're living in a day and age where we're encouraged to think big, to be big, to be powerful. I mean, after all, we're living in a doggy dog world. And you need to be big to overcome all the smallness that there is in the world. But contrary to how the world thinks, we belong to an upside-down kingdom, and it mandates that those who are citizens... Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? We say we're citizens of the kingdom of God. Now we need to live by the bylaws of that kingdom, the bylaws that are outlined for us, not in the U.S. Constitution and bylaws, but by the bylaws of the Word of God given by Jesus himself, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, who said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we notice, contrary to how the world thinks, Jesus never focuses on what is on the outside. Jesus always sees what is on the heart. 
Jesus doesn't focus on how often do you go to church, how much do you give, how much do you serve. Jesus is looking on our hearts today and our characters. I was just reading in Matthew 23, and it's just amazing how brazen Jesus is, who was considered just to be a man when he walked on the earth. But he came against the religious aristocracy. He came against the religious rulers of the day. Everyone bowed before the religious rulers. I mean, they looked holy and they acted holy and they did all the holy things. But Jesus said it's all external. If you read Matthew 23, you will find that Jesus says the the cup on the outside is beautiful, but when you look a little deeper on the inside, it's full of dead men's bones. It's putrid and it stinks. And he says, shame on you, you hypocrites. I mean, it is the most scathing renunciation of a religious group of people that you will read in all of history. But Jesus comes against them because he says, those who will belong to my kingdom, it's not about what people see. It's about how I see them on the inside. And I know that in this upside down world, it's all about appearance. Man looks on the outside, but God sees the heart when we think about these Beatitudes, they're actually all very descriptive of who Jesus was and how he lived his life when he walked this earth in the flesh. And the promise of this blessedness is guaranteed to those who will what? Not do, but be in reflecting the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is only as we grow in conformity to the image of Christ that can be proven as we grow in meekness. For Jesus said, I am meek and lowly. As Christians, we all have the desire, I want to be more like Jesus. And so we're thinking, well, Jesus went about doing good and he healed the sick and he raised the dead. So I want to heal the sick and I want to raise the dead. And it's all about the power that I could demonstrate so that others could see, boy, isn't that person a spiritual giant? They do miracles and signs and wonders. Well, that has a place in the kingdom. Secondary. Primary is the character of Christ that is being reflected in and through our lives. And it's only as we grow in meekness that we truly become more like Jesus and are more useful to his kingdom. So as we consider this beatitude this morning, clearly we need to understand what is meekness and what isn't meekness. Meekness is one of those words in the English language that is misunderstood it's ill-defined. It's been misrepresented. If you go to your thesaurus and you look up the word meekness, you will find words that are not very flattering. Docile, mild, tame, soft, passive, spineless. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't want to be identified by those terms, and yet Jesus tells me I'm to live a meek life. 
It's also been translated in other places in the scripture as gentle and humble. And when people read those words, they view meekness as weakness. But in reality, as we study this word and understand it in the light of how God by his spirit teaches us, meekness is not weakness, it is strength. This beatitude is not saying, blessed are the weak. Jesus never advocated that his disciples should be doormats that everyone walks on. Well, after all, I'm a Christian. I've got to be passive and quiet and humble and meek. We don't understand what meek means. Jesus, as he lived his life, displayed meekness. It was gentleness and humility when it came to personal affront. But when it came to God and the kingdom and the truth, he stood boldly against it as we declared in Matthew, as we see him declaring in Matthew 23. So yes, saints of God, we need to be humble. We need to be gentle when the attacks come against us personally. And we'll say more about this a little later on in the message. But when it comes to standing for what is truth, standing for what is right, we need to be bold. We are the light of the world. If we hide our light under a bushel, what are we enlightening? What are we illuminating? If we never speak up for what is true and righteous, then who will speak up for what is true and righteous? We are the salt of the earth. Meekness is not weakness. Moses in the scripture is said to be the meekest man on the earth. But when I think of Moses... I think of that statue that Michelangelo carved out of marble. I mean, you talk about a leader of all leaders. When it came to personal affront, Moses was meek, gentle, and humble. But when it came to the truth of God's word, the holiness of God, the demands of God upon his people... Moses did not shrink back, he did not shirk, he did not turn his back, he did not justify, he did not compromise, he was bold and he said to the Levites, gird on your sword, it's time for the judgment of God to come against the people who have sinned against God. That is not a picture of meekness, there is nothing weak or soft or spineless about Moses. So meekness is not weakness, but it is rather this, strength under control. That's what God wants all of us to have. If we're to reflect the character of Christ, we must have strength under control. I think the best example of this, if we can illustrate, is a wild horse who can never be saddled. You can't saddle, you can't ride a wild horse. It'll always kick, it will buck. You can never put a wild horse in a race. It will never win a race. It needs 
to be trained. It needs to be broken. And when it is, then you see a wild horse who used to kick and buck, and now it has a dignity about itself. It has a poise. It's a completely different animal. How did it happen? He came under the rule of a master. He learned that he had strength, but that strength could only be demonstrated at the command of his master. The horse became submitted. And meekness is truly defined in this word submission. You know what submission means? Literally putting your mission under someone else's authority. If you're taking notes this morning, that's something you should be writing down. Submission is putting your mission under someone else's authority. And a horse submits to the bit and the bridle. Now he is in a place to run and win in a race because his strength is focused. It's directed by his master. If we want to live effective Christian lives, powerful Christian lives, we need to come under the authority of Jesus, our Lord. So if meekness is strength under control, how does that impact our lives? Well, our tempers get tamed. <laughs> you know, we're human, and sometimes at the very slightest stroke of anything, some people flare up like fireworks on July 4th. But when we have the character of Christ in us. Our tempers will be tamed. We do not lash out at the slightest provocation. Meekness enables us to control the impulses of our flesh. That's what happens. Our flesh gets under control. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is meekness. You're controlled. Spirit Anointed control takes authority in our lives. That's a tall order to come under this kind of control. How do we get there? How do we really get meek? For all of us as human beings, this is, this is a big challenge. It's a huge challenge. Jesus charts the course for us in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that the most wonderful invitation that, we, that could come to our ears. I don't know about you, but I'm often tired and heavy laden. Life just has a way of doing that to us. We get weary. We get discouraged. The cares of life burden us down. But Jesus gives us the answer. We don't need to, to succumb to that weight that crushes us and defeats us. If we would only respond to his invitation. But his invitation has three conditions. 
First of all, we have to come to Jesus. <laughs> I don't know why it is in life that we become so independent. We become so self-sufficient. Oh, I could do this on my own. Remember that old commercial, Mother, I'd Rather Do It Myself? God says, I'm here for you. I'm Jehovah Shammah. I'm present in every situation, in every condition of your life. Whatever your problem, whatever your challenge, I'm present. And the Holy Spirit, who is our paraclete, lives within us to guide, lead, direct, comfort, strengthen, sustained by the grace of God. But we don't come. We don't come. Jesus says, come and I will give you rest. But we need to come to Jesus because often in our human state, what do we do? We go to our best friend. And we cry in their soup. They got their own problems. They got their own heartaches and headaches. And now we're pouring out our heart and our mess all over them. Go to our spouses, we go to our moms, our dads, our siblings, whoever it might be, but it's not Jesus. Jesus is knocking at our heart's door and saying, come unto me. You go to your best friend. I know what a lot of church people think. I need to talk to the pastor. I know part of my responsibility is to shepherd the flock. So when you have a problem that you can't tunnel through and you need help, you need counsel, that's what pastors are for. But some people just like to cry on a pastor's shoulder. Now, one of the things I've noticed in all the years that I pastored, that 95% of the people who come to me for counseling don't come because they really want help. They come because they want a shoulder to cry on. They come because they want someone to give them some sympathy. They come because they just, they're just feeling miserable and they want somebody to pick them up. Jesus wants to pick you up. Let's just have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. Isn't that what the old gospel hymn says, Sister Angem? Yes, he does. it does. And I'll feel a little fire burning. How do the words of that song go? And we'll have a little talk with Jesus. He'll make it right. He'll make it right. Come to Jesus. Some of us are, are, are maybe you've, it's been so long since you've come to Jesus that you, you just don't even feel that desire. You don't feel that wooing. But Jesus is waiting. The scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We're waiting for God to run to us. He will run to us as he did with the prodigal son when he saw that prodigal son coming to him. He's not going to chase us down until he sees that our heart is saying, God, I need you. God, I'm desperate. If you don't come for me, I don't know what I'm going to do. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will hear you and answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. Call unto me. We don't call unto him and we're saying, why can't God find me? Doesn't he see what's going on down here? Come to Jesus. And then he says, this is the second condition, take my yoke upon you. See, we have to come on his terms. 
We're not our own. When you give your heart to Jesus, you come under, you submit yourself to his authority. Your life is not your own. Oh, this is what I'm going to do. What does James say? Don't dare say I'm going here today doing that. You need to say if God wills. We are living under the will, the plan, and the purpose of God. What does it mean to take my yoke upon you? You've seen those pictures, haven't you, of double oxen that are harnessed together by a wood frame that goes across the back of their necks? What's the purpose of that? So that they plow in unison Jesus wants us to live in unison with him. And we need to take his yoke. We want to give him our yoke. We're going down a wrong path. We're not plowing in the right field. Take my yoke upon you. What was the yoke that Jesus took upon himself when he came to this earth? I believe it was the will of God. We read, prophesied of the Messiah in Psalm chapter 40. Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. What happened to Jesus when he came to this earth? He had to bend his neck and bow his heart to the will of the Father. He lived every moment of every day to do the will of the Father. And he said once, I only say, he wouldn't even say a word unless he heard his father saying it because he wanted to be so in sync with God, his father. And he went through the entirety of his life doing the will of God. And when it came time to go to Jerusalem for the express purpose of dying on the cross, he went with his face set like a flint. His disciples said, Jesus, don't, don't go to Jerusalem. They're, they're after you. They want to kill you. Are you kidding me? That's the last thing you want to do. Jesus knew it was time and was the will of the Father. But we see the struggle of the God-man and the human man. Jesus was 100% God. He was 100% man. And as a man in the garden of Gethsemane, he was crushed by the burden of what was before him. That he would have to suffer, take on himself the sin of the world, the shame, the guilt, the disgrace of the world that his father would hide his face from him. And he prayed three times. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will. I didn't come to do my will. I didn't come to do what feels good. I didn't come to do what's comfortable. I didn't come to have an easy life. I came to do your will. And God's will for Jesus meant the cross. And do we understand that when Jesus says, take my yoke, 
He is asking us to embrace the will of the Father. Jesus had all the resources of heaven at his disposal. But because it wasn't in the will of God to avail himself of those resources, he didn't call on them. Remember when Peter sliced the ear of the, high, the servant of the high priest? I mean, Jesus, Peter, put away your sword. Don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? Do you know how many 12 legions of angels? There's 72,000 angels. Just, just like that, Jesus could have called them. Can you imagine the destruction that could have come at the hands of 72,000 angels? When we read, I believe it's in 1 Kings, that against the Assyrians, the angel of the Lord came and smote 72,000. Uh, how many did they smite? 185,000 Assyrians. One angel. <laughs> the power of an angel. And God says, you have angels that are watching over your life. <laughs> the angel of the Lord encamps around about those who love him and fear him. We can rejoice in that. But the point that I'm trying to make here, Jesus had the ability to call for help. And in this life, there are times when we could wiggle out of the will of God to make life comfortable. But we're unyoking ourselves. We're unyoking ourselves. Jesus knew he was in the will of God. He knew that God would vindicate him. I like this analogy about meekness. Being meek is not being at the end of our rope, but rather needing to rely on God. It's having rope, but choosing instead, God, I embrace your will. I embrace your plan, and I submit to it. So we could define meekness in this way. It's the ability to use God's power to fulfill his will instead of using the power that we have available to us to follow our own plan and to do our own will. And it even speaks to those very personal areas of our lives where we want to defend ourselves. And that brings us to our third point, or the third condition where Jesus says, and learn of me. Who is our model in life? I hope it's not your pastor. I mean, I walk with fear and trembling because I know I need to model as best as I can what it means to be a Christian. But I'm cut from the same cloth as you. I have the same temptations, same frustrations, the same ability to get offended. <laughs> but we need to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is the only perfect example of how we are to live. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly, learn of me. He bears the name King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is strong, he is mighty, he is omnipotent, he is omniscient. He is everything in all in all. And yet he says, I am meek and lowly. So meek and lowly that before he went to the cross, he is in the upper room with his disciples and he gets down and washes the feet of Judas, that traitor. I don't know about you, but when I'm betrayed, I don't feel like washing anybody's feet. 
But if we're to be like Jesus, he calls us to be meek and lowly. He washes Peter's feet. He knows he's going to deny him. He knows all of them are going to forsake him. In his hour of greatest need, they all fled. But he washes their feet. He took the role of the humblest, the most demeaning job in that culture. The lowest slave would wash the feet of a guest. But the king of glory is washing feet. How do we measure up to that standard? How do we feel when offense comes into our life? Are you having trouble forgiving someone today for something they said or did to you? And you might say to me, Pastor, you don't know what it was. Because if you knew what it was, it was absolutely unforgivable. It's something for which there was no excuse. It should never have happened. There's no human way that I could never, ever let go. But if we turn our eyes to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want to learn of you. What did you say about those who offended and betrayed, those who put those nails in your hands, those who spat upon you, those who plucked out your beard, those who scourged you till they ripped the flesh off of his back and his bones could become visible. Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus, when he was betrayed by Peter, or denied by Peter, I should say, I think that's one of the most poignant pictures of such pathos as Peter, for the third time, actually curses I don't know that man. What are you talking about, you crazy people? But he used some expletives as well. And Jesus turns and looks. Do you know what it was a look? It was not a look of condemnation. Peter, you dirty, rotten scout, how can you do this to me? It was a look of compassion. It was a look of meekness. Peter, I've prayed for you. You're going to be sifted as wheat, but I pray that your faith fail not. And that when you're converted, you'll feed the sheep. How often do we have that kind of attitude? Well, they, they hurt me. Now I could talk about them. And we have this idea of tit for tat. But in the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom, that, that goes in the world. That's the way the world acts. See, we, we, should, we should try to examine and evaluate our lives based on how much do I live like the world? Do I tell the same jokes? Do I laugh at the same jokes? Do I act the same way? Do I respond the same way? Do I say the same things? Do I have the same attitudes? I mean, you're living like the world. Not in the upside-down kingdom, because we're the opposite of how this world acts and thinks. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. Jesus, you said, Father, whatever your will is, I embrace it. 
once he won that battle in the Garden of Gethsemane, he did not flinch. He went as a lamb before her slaughters is dumb. He opened not his mouth. You know, when he stood before Pilate, he had every opportunity to be delivered from the cross, but he would not open his mouth. Meek and lowly. I just want to ask us today, are we living like Jesus? Do we have a spirit of meekness that is fleshed out through our lives. That even when offense comes, when correction comes, you know, th this works in marriages big time. Big time. Because we could say something to our spouse and sometimes we say it in anger. Sometimes we say it innocently. And we're offended. We offended them. Or when they do it to us, we get offended. But you know what? There'd be a lot less argument and friction and conflict in marriage if both of us would start acting a little more meekly. <laughs> Gentle and humble. Think the best. Love covers a multitude. Even if they said it in anger. Yeah, they're frustrated. I've done a lot worse. I forgive them. I overlook it. Not going to hold on to this. I'm not going to coddle this offense and then it becomes a bitterness and then people end up in divorce court. You know where it all started? It started with that little offense and just kept building and building and building and building. God help us. Help us most of all to receive with meekness the engrafted word. That's what James says in chapter 1 and verse 21. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. Sometimes we think, I don't like what the pastor is saying today. You're not listening to the pastor. If your heart is right, you're saying, Holy Spirit, let me hear only what you want me to hear and let me receive what you want me to receive, even if it offends me, even if it tweaks me, even if it hurts me and makes me say, ouch, because I know guilty is charged. I want to receive it. Because as I receive it, it's going to save my soul. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, I'm saved. Yeah, your spirit is saved. But your soul needs to progressively get sanctified. How you think, how you feel, what you want. It needs to come under the submission of the Holy Spirit of God. So that you could be like Jesus. That in the face of the severest insult and offense... He could still humble himself and say, I'm under, I'm under the authority of the Father. And because Jesus was willing to humble himself and to become obedient even unto the death of the cross, what does the scripture say? God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee bows, every tongue confesses to the glory of God the Father. And we think we need to vindicate ourselves. We think we have a right to make it right. God says, live under my authority. I'm going to make it right. 
The scripture in James 3 and 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. You know, godly wisdom is meekness. Godly wisdom communicates act in a meek way. Because when we do, we'll be vindicated by God. <laughs> we don't understand that. It's an upside-down kingdom. We've gotten our minds so, so conditioned and so aligned with the thinking of the world, this doggy dog world. You gotta fight if you wanna win. You gotta prove your point. Learn of me, I am meek and lowly. We think we know it all. You know, it's been said the most brilliant minds were men and women of meekness who because they knew so much recognized that the more they knew, the more they realized how much they didn't know. With Socrates who said, the man who knows that he doesn't know is a much wiser man than the man who doesn't know that he doesn't know. We know it all. Jesus said, learn of me. He knew it all, but he didn't show it off. He knew it all, but he only spoke when he heard the Father speak. He only did what he saw the Father doing. May God grace us today. For Jesus promises that if you choose to come to him, if you choose to take on his yoke, if you choose to learn of Jesus, you will inherit the earth. Everybody's trying to get on top. Everybody's trying to be the best. Everyone wants to outshine everyone else. Jesus' sake said, take the road less traveled. That's the path to glory. That's the path to blessing. That's the path to conquest. You will inherit the earth. everything that everybody else is seeking after, chasing after. They keep falling into pits. Because they think it's an upside right kingdom, but it's upside down in the world. According to God's standard. Let's do it God's way. And know the blessedness that he promises to those who are his disciples and who will walk in the path that Jesus led for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we humble ourselves in your presence today. We want to confess to you that, Lord, so often we are the very antithesis of what meekness is but you're teaching us that meekness is strength under control. That we do have the power to do and say things that meekness would say no to. Help us to learn of you today, Jesus. We cry out to you. We need you. 
We need you, Jesus. Our heart's cry is to become more like you, Jesus. Stamp your image upon our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Take the word that you've intended for each of us and burn that truth in our hearts. Help us, God, not only to hear the word, but to become doers of it that we might be blessed in our deed. So seal this truth to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.